Hi, this is Dr. Mini Malhotra and welcome to The Better Prescription. As a physician, I've always wanted to help people understand that there is a better way of taking care of your health away from prescriptions and procedures. And this podcast is a tool that will help you and guide you towards a natural root cause approach, which can not only prevent diseases, but also reverse them if they are not too advanced. What if I told you that small amount of stressors can actually make you stronger? So what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. I'm going to talk about hormesis and the paradoxical benefits of low dose stressors we can check that can actually has been checked and many research studies have also been told. So I'll review this hormesis like, you know, phenomena in the context of chronic diseases for many substances, including lifestyle factors and endocrine like hormonal effects. So intermittent pulsatiles or in small doses of exposure can generate opposite effects compared with continuous exposure. An initial exposure can actually cause an adaptive stress response with long-lasting protection against subsequent exposures. So early life stress can increase resilience in later life and a lack of stress can lead to vulnerability. Like often we protect our children from many things, but actually exposing them to certain problems and letting them solve it themselves can actually be really beneficial. Many stressors are naturally occurring and they are required for healthy growth or homeostasis, which exemplifies how illness is the doorway to health. The golden mean principle in the philosophy that suggests an optimal dose duration or the distribution of any exposure for a given benefit. Any deviation from this Goldilocks condition in either direction results in suboptimal or harmful effects which generates, you know, a biphasic uh, kind of a curve. So in the broadest sense, everything can be hormesis. More often we use hormesis to refer to paradoxical low-dose beneficial effect of stressors. It might seem that paradoxical because our preconception regarding what constitutes stress or benefit. It can also be counterintuitive because we often cognitively are biased towards the cause-effect relationship. For example, we are used to expecting opposite outcomes from gain of function and loss of function manipulations. And we describe many of these in a monotonic way. So looking at the biological process through the lens of hormesis could help explain or reconcile many of these paradoxical phenomena, particularly the opposite effects of the same substance, regardless whether it is a xenobiotic or like a, you know, a toxin or an endogenous substance, hormone or metabolite that is produced internally, a genetic manipulation, epigenetic alteration or any of these things. So compared to the dose, duration of the exposure are underappreciated factors in actually finding out the net outcome. Intermittent exposure often generates opposite effect as uh, respect to continuous exposure. So our body is highly adaptive. On one hand, exposure to its stressor can induce stress responses, which are protective against subsequent exposure in a way that the body is anticipating more stress. On the other hand, constant high-level exposure can increase tolerance to avoid 
overstressing the system. And such adaptations are essential because the environmental changes can be unpredictable and the body needs to adjust the trade-off among different functions such as fecundity versus longevity or energy conservation versus expenditure. The endocrine, nervous and immune systems are particularly amenable to these adaptations because these systems directly sense the environment's changes, communicate the perceived change to the rest of the body. And these adaptations can be so common and successful during the evolution that body becomes reliant on certain stress stimulations for training purposes during healthy development and homeostasis. Removing the stressors, especially during early life, deprives this training opportunity and can reduce resilience, as exemplified by hygiene, hypothesis, and stress inoculating theory. So the hormetic effects of lifestyle factors. Let's take cigarette smoking. So cigarette smoking can cause lung disease. However, the Epidemiological studies that have been done also show a correlation between smoking and a lower incidence of Parkinson's disease, paradoxically. Specifically, the longer the duration of smoking and not higher intensity is correlated with lower risk of Parkinson's disease. So nicotine can be neuroprotective through nicotine acetylcholine receptors that modulate the neuroinflammation. Another thing is like the major component of cannabis like delta-9 tetrahydrocannabinol or THC can disrupt small-term memory. However, THC can improve neurocognitive functions in old animals when administered at low concentration. And actually, THC or marijuana promotes hippocampus neurogenesis and slows down the neurodegenerative processes in animal models who have had Alzheimer's disease, which is associated with reduced inflammation and re- improved memory changes. The second uh, you know, lifestyle factor I want to discuss is alcohol. Heavy alcohol consumption can cause alcoholic fatty liver and alcoholic cardiomyopathy. However, compared to abstainers, moderate alcohol consumption is associated with reduced mortality and lower risk of cardiovascular disease, although there is a controversy regarding this, right? Moderate alcohol consumption is connected with many beneficial alterations in your blood lipid panel, platelet function, fibrinolytic activity, which is an inflammatory marker, insulin sensitivity, myocardial or blood flow to your heart, and the cells of the heart survive more and the survival increases and which can contribute to lower levels of coronary events. So moderate alcohol consumption can also be protective against cognitive dysfunction. Although it is more controversial with the mechanism and the mechanism is less defined. What about exercise? So moderate level of exercise reduces the level of pro-inflammatory cytokines uh, which cytokines are markers which are released can uh, increase inflammation and suppress your immune system and so it reduces moderate level of exercise reduces the pro-inflammatory cytokines and increases the production of anti-inflammatory cytokines in a healthy individual. So exercise activates the sympathetic adrenomedullary and hypothalamus pituitary adrenal axis and leading to release of catecholamines like adrenaline which you know which control the inflammatory cytokines through some receptors. Intense exercise, however, can reduce the release of this pro-inflammatory cytokines and inhibit the release of anti-inflammatory productions. 
sedentary diabetic ra uh, rats subjected to acute intensive swimming exercise showed aggravated inflammatory profiles and oxidative stress. And metabolic derangements in obese rats uh, prevented the negative feedback me mechanism between IL-6 and noradrenaline, and excess high-intensity exercise can worsen the dysregulation producing pro-inflammatory effects. So if you see that many of these marathon runners or high intensity, you know, uh, people who are doing high intensity workouts, they actually have a lot of coronary events. And that could be from this effect that of promoting, you know, inflammatory cytokines. So such a shift between the pro and anti-inflammatory cytokine can cause excessive tissue damage and inflammatory diseases such as osteoarthritis. Conversely, or on the other hand, the role of inflammation in muscle repair is also biphasic uh, in context with exercise. On one hand, a low-grade inflammation seems required for recovery of exercise-induced microtrauma. Post-exercise treatment of non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs like NSAID actually suppresses satellite cell proliferation and reduces muscle protein synthesis. On the other hand, intense exercise can cause muscle damage, which is shown by the myofibers being broken down and release of certain myocellular proteins. And this leads to an inflammatory response, cytokine discharge, which can in turn worsen the muscle performance. So exercise can also have biphasic effects on neurocognition. So low intensity exercise, but not high intensity, perform better in, in memory uh, in the mice group compared to the sedentary group. The high intensity group presented higher levels of cortisol, which implicates higher stress response. So there was also expression of certain factors like the BDNF, like brain-derived neurotrophic factors, synapsin-1, PSD-95, which are all markers we can check in the blood, which are released from the brain in the hippocampal area, which is responsible for memory and balance and many things. And it showed that these factors were increased with low intensity exercise. So it increased the brain plasticity, right? So these lifestyle factors can really affect the exercise, you know, your longevity and many other benefits that you can have from actually doing these low intensity exercise and working. So let's look at certain endocrine factors and what happens when you have high levels and low levels. So let's take estrogen. So when estrogen is high, it increases tumor cell formation, okay? And at low doses, it causes cell death. So in the cardiovascular system, low dose activates while high dose inhibits these plasminogen activator in the aorta or the big artery. In the bone, estrogen increases bone formation at the start of puberty, but causes closure of the bone. So, uh, you know, to stop the growth, uh, the length. And in Turner syndrome, intermittent low-dose estrogen actually helps with increasing the bone growth, while high-dose estrogen fails to stimulate the growth of the bones. So it shows that low levels of estrogen are required for a good bodily function, but high doses can be uh, not beneficial. What about progesterone? So progesterone, when it is given before a test, it actually increases the uh, estrogen-induced effects of extension, recall, or the memory. However, when it is given a day before the test, it actually removes the good effects of estrogen. 
and even uh, immune response it can it has been shown that if you are exposed to progesterone over a long period of time so imagine if you are on a birth control pill continuously so this is associated with poor immune response to genital herpes and short term treatment is protective against this challenge what about growth hormone like an insulin like growth factor so that in compare in uh, terms to lifespan both low and high insulin like growth factor are associated with increased mortality and growth hormone can cause increased muscle mass reduce fat improve bone density however when you are deficient in growth hormone it can signal uh, you know uh, deficiencies signaling pathway increases lifespan and health span okay so a lower level actually increases your lifespan and health span and insulin so insulin lowers blood glucose level in diabetic patients however when you lower hyperinsulinism it improves insulin sensitivity and improves your lifespan in diet induced obesity so irisin comes from the bo- it affects the bone and low dose treatment increases bone density however high dose it actually suppresses bone formation what about uh, some other hormones like parathyroid hormone constant high level exposure causes bone loss while intermittent exposure causes increases bone mass so these and what about cortisol which is you know a stress hormone so chronic treatment like people who take steroid shots and things like that it increases muscle atrophy but small weekly doses improves muscle repair and muscle contraction and high level exposure reduces memory while as low level exposure actually helps with memory retrieval the thyroid hormone so if you have high levels of thyroid hormones or hyperthyroidism increases the risk of heart disease pulmonary hypertension atrial fibrillation and very low levels causes in left ventricular diastolic dysfunction and you know carotid intima media thickness the thickness of your major artery in the neck and in metabolism also the you know low thyroid hormone reduces metabolism so these hormones also in high levels and low levels show that a low level and a pulsatile like short spurts will actually improve longevity and improve so imagine if you have exposed to low level small stressors throughout your life you actually improve resilience improve your immune function of course on the other hand if you have too much of exposure to stressed stress factors then it reduces longevity So hormesis is a good thing it improves resilience improves longevity and and actually adapts your body to difficult situation things like wim hof method if you have heard that actually works on the hormesis method so you are giving short amount of stressors to your body to improve longevity like the deep breathing holding your breath then showering in cold water meditation yoga these things are a key feature in wim hof but the two things like cold water treatment and holding your breathing is actually a short stress on your body but creases your body's longevity another thing is intermittent fasting or time restricted feeding is a stressful response because your body goes into stress when you're not eating for a certain period of time but it actually increases longevity look at it in this way that when you actually reduce your levels of stress to a level where it is a low level of stress by certain things you can actually biohack your body in many ways so you can actually cause biohacking your body 
and increase your longevity and increase health. So practice deep breathing exercise, practice, you know, showering in the cold or immersing yourself in, in cold water. Things like ozone treatment, cryotherapy, these are all things that are available. So that's all I have for you today. I'll talk to you again next week with another topic. Please send your questions to Minnie at anchorwellnesscenter.com and share this with your friends and family and give us a review, a good one on iTunes. Take care and have a great rest of your day.